I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moore! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, and Hello everyone and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. On the afternoon after, the Springboks proved that they had only been yarrowing their way through the summer like true Kerrymen and they lit this tour uh, up with a fantastic performance. Joining me to discuss it is Bernard Jackman. We've got to check in with you first and see what the hype level is like. You don't need to give me a number. I know you're not a man for gimmicks, Birch, but has your enthusiasm increased for the Test Series in a strictly rugby context after that one last night? I'm back, baby. I'm back. No, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I loved it. I, I loved it. I thought it was the most fascinating game I, I've watched in a in a while. Obviously, look, there was some great final. Like the Premiership final was was class, but I just thought the um, the intricacies and the, the tactics and and, and the, the physicality of the of the box that particularly that first twenty minutes when I thought maybe they'd start slow, haven't been locked in their bedrooms, um, and maybe that's you know it was just that. Uh, outrage or, or release of of emotion and pent up testosterone but like anybody near a rook is uh, in physical danger i mean like most times they're more physical with their own players um so let's kiss the the former irish defense coach used to always talk about you know two parts of the tackle there's the front end and the back end and i'd urge anyone who's watching the box um to just keep an eye on the back end of the of the tackle that 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 happens uh situations happens more against uh, with them than anyone else where they effectively will smash their own tackler um mid tackle to create go forward and um it's just it's just on a different level and and i think from gatlin's point of view and and um you know, for the Lions coaches, there's a few clips in that game that, you know, will be used next week in the lead up to the to the first test around, you know, winning those physical battles and, and not being dominated. And it, the box laid down a marker, uh, I thought, and I know the Lions fought back and, things, and everything, but I thought in terms of um, them leaving a mark on the Lions or putting... Uh, putting it very clear in their mind around where the battle line is going to be, I, I just thought it was awesome. And they've got some, you know some absolute animals to come come in as well. I mean, um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be intriguing. Yeah, let me say hello to Murray Kinsler before we get into it in proper detail. Murray, how are you? Did you enjoy that last night? Yeah, same as Birch. Absolutely loved every minute of it. Right from the start when, when Etzbet smashes Liam Williams off that box kick and you see some familiar pictures. And I was just so impressed with how the, the box managed to come out of their week of isolation last week. Most of their prep had been on Zoom with, with analysis sessions, but it just underlines how well-prepared Razzy Erasmus and Jack Nienaber and Felix Jones and the rest of the coaching staff have this team and their ability to go to a an unbelievable level of, of physicality. As as we heard in, in Chasing the Sun, they just love fucking people up. And, and we saw a lot of that last night. It was it was impressive to, to watch in the lines. Perfect timing, I suppose, an, an awakening and a reminder of what's to come because this was it was just incomparable to anything else they, they faced on the tour previously against Japan. It's, it's a different ball game. It's a different type of rugby you've got to play. And Gatlin's got a lot to think about. He certainly does. I think everybody does after watching that one. That'll be the centre of attention of this podcast. We'll just reel off what else we'll be chatting about today before we kick off in earnest. So breakdown law trials and independent concussion consultants. Uh, we'll get into that towards the start. Uh, the URC 
linking up with Jay-Z's boys, Rock Nation. That could be exciting, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that one, Lance. Uh, then we'll chat Lions in greater detail. And on the run-in, look back quickly on the Ireland under-20s, whose Six Nations campaign just reached a conclusion against France. Look ahead to Ireland's autumn tests. And if we have a couple of minutes to spare towards the end, why not chat about that brilliant second test between Australia and France? But I want to start... Bernard, with a question from Kalon, and this is a topic we were going to broach anyway after John Cooney's interesting media work during the week. Um, if people didn't hear this or read this, by the way, he was basically, and I am paraphrasing, saying that at times earlier in his career at Leinster, he had issues with Johnny Sexton's communication style, let's say, and that it wouldn't necessarily be his cup of tea. And Kalon was asking, in light of the revealing John Cooney interview, how would you, Birch, deal with a similar situation in the squad? Would it be normal that some guys just don't get along? And have you ever had to deal with that in key positions like nine and ten? Yeah, look, I think everybody's not best mates all the time. I think once there's um, once there's respect um, for each other and, you know, the uh, that people are working together for the team, um, I think you have to allow that. So I, I would say and that's why it's probably from a coaching point of view, in terms of recruiting coaches, um, it's so important you get somebody who's going to fit into the group because you spend so much time together and you're a smaller group. Um, whereas with players, obviously you want to get a really good character, but generally players you know, um, who are a little bit different or different personality, they'll find in a group of 44 or 5 players, they'll find you know a little group that, that they get on really well with. So you don't have to worry about them. Whereas coaching is such a... It's a smaller uh, group overall, and obviously you spend more time together. So, yeah, I have I've I've had players who were um, you know difficult at times, um, played with and 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 coached them. Um, but again, I, I think you know there's two things to it. You need to try and understand you know what's causing that that uh, anger or or tension or or fighting the system. Um, so you need to try and you know get a little bit deeper with, with, with those individuals. And then also, if it's becoming something that's affecting the team's ability, then you need to probably speak to both parties and make sure they understand, you know, the personality type that uh, they're working with. And, and, you know, Stuart Lancaster is on the record of, of using personality profiles with, with the Leinster squad when he came in. So um, the coaches should have a better idea of, how that player takes feedback, um, you know, how they take on information to be able to tailor it, um, you know, the right the right tone to each individual. And that's obviously, you know, it's high performance coaching, really. Um, but uh, again, I would say it's difficult for, for players to, uh, in the heat of battle, to be able to... Um, you know, react to a different player, you know, uh, a, a different personality type, um, you know, in, in the heat of battle. I think most players will be true to themselves for those 80 minutes or or for the 90 minutes on the training field uh, because it's, it's the way training's gone now. It's not stop, start and having big, long times to chat. It's information, give it, take it on board and react. Um, so, you know, the, the Johnny example, I mean, we know what Johnny's like, and, and but Johnny's very authentic. He's he's like that. Would, does Johnny spend time trying to improve his his, uh, his communication style? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm sure the Johnny that, that John Cooney would play with now would be vastly different. Um, but also, let's be honest, you know, the nine is the one in the firing line. And if, uh, if there's probably two alpha males at nine, 10, um, which John John likes the game to be set up for for in his in his way as well. So I can you can see the 
two very strong characters there. Um, and, and, and let's remember, John hadn't proven himself in Leinster um, to the level he has now. So I'd have no doubt if, if, if he went back, it would be very different. But it's interesting to hear players speak about it like that. Look, at, um, it, it's not it's it's not a surprise. I mean, you know, you're all like what I always say is, you know, you if, if you're coaching a team um, at professional level and you've got 45 players, since the age of 12, most of them have been the best player in their team, you know, and suddenly then at 24, 25, you're having to try and manage game time, manage expectations. Um, it, it, it's quite difficult. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's it's definitely something that I think, you know, possibly maybe held John back a little bit, maybe his inability to deal with that and maybe it affected his own form. Um, and as he's matured now, I, I, you know, you see a player who's much more confident in what he can bring and yeah, probably uh, at a young age, he just wasn't really um, established enough to be able to deal with it. Just to look at it from a slightly different perspective, Murray, as journalists, we probably come across it semi-regularly with certain players, I think particularly as it pertains to an international setup across a range of sports, where if they feel as though they're not necessarily in the coach's plans, they do tend to speak more openly and honestly about colleagues, even some of those coaches. And I wondered with Cooney, at his age, he's not old, but he's not exactly a spring chicken either. Has he reached that stage of his career? I think we've reached the F-bomb quota in this podcast, but the not giving a you-know-what stage of his career where he can speak openly and doesn't actually believe that he has a future playing alongside Sexton for Ireland. Did you get that impression or am I reading a little bit too much into it? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's pretty much resigned to not playing for Ireland again and, and that's the the stance he has on things and you can understand it given his, his really good form over the last couple of years at Ulster and not getting a proper consistent look in with Ireland you can understand why he would would have that sense and that is a shame that a guy with his skills and abilities as a as a threat from nine can't be potentially integrated a little bit more we've spoken about the, the depth there and it'll be interesting to see what happens next in his career obviously he's a key man in Ulster I think he's got another year there in his, his contract doesn't he but you can imagine him absolutely bossing it for a French club in the top 14 and having a real kind of late career I suppose success somewhere like that obviously Ulster want to want to keep a guy like that who they've built around a lot but you could understand the resignation from his point of view. Some guys' faces just don't really fit, and and that's been the case for him. It's definitely been tough. It was fascinating to to see and read those comments. Um, I read in the in the Indo, um, just honesty and and a, a bit of insight and, and stuff you maybe heard mutterings about, but um, to to hear from the player himself it was fascinating and no surprise, as Birch says, like that's Johnny Sexton. We we don't need to go through his CV. And generally, when you hear about that side of his personality, it's in a positive light from teammates who probably hated it at the time and wanted to deck him in training. But in hindsight, they realised that's why that team was was successful, in part because of the incessant um, and at times aggressive demands on people to, to hit standards that he wanted to attain. So no huge surprise in that sense. But it is a pity, as you say, that, that Cooney's career with Ireland, in his mind, is, is probably over now. Gav, just just on that, I mean, like what fans and and journalists and 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 pundits see on a Saturday for for 80, 80 minutes. I mean, you know, it's it's cleansed, but like the the really strong teams generally have a have a way of um, speaking to each other, holding each other to account. That if you said it in a normal office, you know, you'd be in front of HR. I mean, that's just. 
that's just the way it is, you know. And that generally, uh, and maybe this is old school, and it's definitely got softer. But when the time is needed, you, you need to, like most, you know, high performers want to straight between the eyes. You know, what am I doing? Uh, well, what am I doing wrong? How can I get better? And you know, you don't have time to do a, a 360 review and, and spend a lot of time looking at your strengths first. It's literally just tell me so I can go do it. And that's what you know, Leinster was built on. To be honest, that's how they got they got it back ahead of Munster. I mean, you know, when I joined 2005, we didn't have that level of accountability and, and Cheka had to like really, really uh, knock heads, get rid of some people, um, evolve other people uh, and make them be able to understand that before it started to get inbuilt. And even though they then had success, it didn't mean that you'd go away from that. The reason they were so successful for those 10 years is probably a lot, a lot of us down to the way Johnny drove it, to be honest, and people listen to him. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it is really good to hear John Cooney's, uh, you know, opinion. Uh, and I, absolutely, I'm sure it was very difficult for him. Um, but the reality is it, it's, it's effectively how most of the top teams are, are operating anyway. Yeah, fair enough. Well, it is worth stressing as well. He was talking about an experience a good few years ago. There's a question here about these new law trials. Murray, I'll throw it to yourself. It's from Emmett in the members rugby WhatsApp group, members.the42.e if you want to sign up and join the good folks in there. Uh, he says, but f- uh, sorry, World Rugby's new laws are set to come in for all competitions from the 1st of August, but the Lions' last test against South Africa is on the 7th of August. They're just going to ignore the new laws, right? So let's clarify that. Yeah. It won't feature in yeah, the... Yeah. South Africa test the, series. The line series competition starts this month, so no, no, they won't. They won't yeah. have to jettison those in for the, the last test. So talk us through those new laws. We've, I think we've done enough on the 5022 uh, law in the past. We don't necessarily need to get into that again. But the new breakdown laws, and then we can get into, obviously, the independent concussion consultants as well afterwards. Yeah, so the first one is clearing out players arriving at the rock can't target the lower limbs, i.e. the, the legs of, of jackling players, which obviously is a, a real positive. You've seen some catastrophic injuries where, where people have kind of gone in off their feet, caught a knee in a horrible position and there's there's been a major injury. I suppose what potentially the, the challenge for the game with this is obviously the head and neck area is a no-go. The legs now are, are a no-go. So you've got a really small window for clearing a guy out. It's got to be their, their torso, obviously, um, or potentially their arms, pulling their arms away from the ball. So you've got to be unbelievably careful now because there's massive scope for, for giving away a penalty. I actually chatted to Nigel Owens about this yesterday um, and he said it really needs to go back to the jackal and really policing them being on their feet as they look for, for a turnover because if that's not strict, well, then the, the arriving clearer player has very little chance of legally clearing them out, to be honest. Um, so that's one part of it. The other is around the, the latching. So no more pre-latched pods of, of three players or more, which again, probably should have, or it should have been refereed in, in recent seasons, but it has become a massive trend in the game, particularly in the 22s, close to the try line, players pre-latched, hammering into defenders, creating those mismatches really in terms of power and, and also weight. You could have 300 kg more, up to 400 kg coming on top of one or two defenders. Um, and that's been a really dangerous area of the game, as well as those players flopping off their feet, sealing off the ball, so there's no contest there for possession at the breakdown. The the one player latch is going to still be allowed, obviously after the receiver catches the ball, the ball carrier catches the ball and, and they can latch on, but they're going to be more policely, more strictly policed around being on their feet 
again not flopping onto the ground to to block any potential jackal um and really it's a reiteration of what should have been refereed and, and has slipped out of the game in the last few years owens himself said it he's like the ball comes out at the back of the breakdown you want continuity in the game he said he was guilty of it let's just play on here um, and that's the case with so many laws in the game isn't it you would have a bad product if you whistle absolutely everything but a bit of short-term pain potentially and changing habits can can make it safer and hopefully a, a better spectacle as well that's the plan as well um, but there's always unintended consequences so i'll be interested to see how the referees actually police this now what are your thoughts on those new law trials to begin with, Bert? Yeah, I think the breakdown one is going to be incredibly difficult for players to adapt to. Um, as as Murray said, the the window or the the space you actually have to hit um, is absolutely tiny now. If you think about, you know, how slowly we've adapted to the head high um, collisions and you know how how frequent do we see them and and. You know, if you look at a, a human body, I mean, the head is only a, a um, what is it, an eighth of the of the size of uh, well, some of the South Africans is probably a half, but uh, it's 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 of the actual target, and we're we're consistently hitting the area we're not allowed to hit, right? And you think of a jackal situation, like I I would say probably more than fifty percent of the cleanouts they involve hitting the legs um, and and using those to um, destabilize the jackaler. So. Um, it's a, it's a, it's going to be very very difficult, um, and I just uh, it's going to be yeah incredibly hard, and it'll take a long time to for players to be able to do that because it, look maybe they want to obviously have a lot more turnovers and transition etc. Um, and I, and I I can see that from a safety point of view, but I actually just think the the practicality of being able to deal with that jackal threat um, is going to be very difficult. And I know everyone says oh you need to come in through the gate, you need to line them up, you need to get shoulder wrap etc. It's it, this happens in a in a in a blink of a blink of an eye, and my fear would be, is what you're going to see, which I think is more dangerous, um, is effectively pulling the jackler back, okay, basically towards your nine. So if you think about it, if you miss if you miss your target and you can't go for the legs, um, effectively all you can do is 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 obviously you can you can twist um, left or right, whatever. But uh, most times there's there's a, there's a uh, an assistant there clamped onto him, so that's not that easy. Um, you effectively may have to pull the jackaler back towards your own nine, okay? Um, and just think about the classical jackal position, which is ass up, head down. Effectively, for me, there's a risk then of that player going over on his on his head in a in a dangerous position. But look at we'll see how it plays out. Um, as I said, the worry for me is that at the moment, I think more than fifty percent of the cleanouts involve some kind of contact at the leg area. Mm. World Rugby are saying that the the player advisory and coaching advisory group who helped put this together included people like Dan Levy, Sam Kane, Eddie Jones, Ian Foster. And you would hope that they're the ones who guided it with their first-hand experience. Obviously, Dan Levy suffered a, a big injury there and Sam Kane has taken so much pummeling at the, at the breakdown in the in the chase of a, of a turnover. So let's see what happens with that. As you say, 50-22 is something we've discussed about a lot about, but um, Birch, I'm, I'm sure you're not too happy to see the five-metre scrum sequences done away with now with the goal line dropout coming in across the board for yeah. everyone. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's, it's come in. Um, and ah, look, I don't have... I still think you can punish a team if you have a, if you have a, 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 a dominant scrum five yards out. I don't mind the goal line dropouts too much. I think the 50-22 thing, I know we've covered it before, but um, 
my coaching group has been re- reignited because of this. Uh, we, we have our first uh, webinar tom- tomorrow night. Um, there's great interest in it, trying to work out um, how coaches can exploit it and, and defend it. So um, I'm looking forward to um, to seeing what the uh, yeah people operator than me are going to come up with. The, the consequences of that are, are potentially extremely positive if it works out as planned. You know, an extra body probably half policing the backfield with your two backfield defenders, fewer in the front line, a little less line speed and more space for the attack. But again, you have concerns about how it could go in terms of even more kicking, kicking into the 22, where when you're attacking the 22, you don't have much space at all. It's it's pick and jam. You, you have so much line speed from the defence. It's mole. Um, and then you potentially get into a game where it's just kick and that 22 attack. The, the most exciting, I suppose, open rugby has played in the middle third of the pitch. Um, and potentially teams are, are going to be looking for, for kicks there. But I am fascinated to see what Birch and the lads come up with and, and how teams are going to yeah, exploit. Actually, interestingly, Murray, uh, yeah, I, I totally uh, get where you're coming from thinking, OK, another player in the backfield, um, less line speed. But ironically, how how the conversations are, are just going on WhatsApp, um, some of them, there's a strong push for increased line speed, OK, uh, in terms of trying to affect the kicker. Um, and make him kick badly uh, or make him shy out of the, the, the kick because of the fear of getting blocked down like we saw um, last night from, from Farrell, even though it's not a 50-22, but just really actually focus on improving the player's ability to read body language, spot that potential 50-20 um, attempt and then go after them, which I think actually could be a real positive as well because obviously if they get a block down, that's, you know, we saw last night what can happen from from a from a charge down. Um, if they don't get the block down, you know, can that that kicker sidestep? Does that open up a an interval, uh, a space, and then you're into into kind of uh, counter attack opportunities? So yeah, I think it sounds line speed sounds like it's a it's a negative um, or potential negative, but I actually think it could open up more opportunities um, if 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 teams are ready to to exploit it. Mm. It's fascinating. It's a big shift for for the game. It could be a, a real turning point. So really interested to see from from August onwards how it works. Another shift then is the introduction of these independent concussion consultants, Murray, and it's certainly a positive step. It would seem on paper. Maybe the question would be, if you're doing it now, why weren't you doing it in the past? I don't know if I'm being unfair in asking that. Um, could you just lay it out to people at home if they haven't read the articles about this or haven't quite caught wind of it, how it's going to work? Yeah, I suppose the reason a lot of this is happening, there's a big push from World Rugby around player welfare at the moment. That obviously follows the, I suppose, the the, the lawsuit last season, the likes of Steve Thompson. We talked about it a lot at the time. Players diagnosed with early onset dementia and probable CTE, really horrific stuff. Um, so World Rugby had to come up with some sort of response. And, and this is part of it. The, the new independent concussion consultants who will be mandatory for certainly for international rugby, if a player is attempting to return to play after a concussion within 10 days or on the 10th day after the injury. So like we've all had that experience of like most recently Luke Cowan Dickey gets sparked on the pitch and a week later he's playing. Like seven days, it'll never sit easy with me even if if everything is passed and it just feels so strange to see a guy concussed and back seven days later. This will add another layer. So if the team is passing the player fit to return to play 
after seven days, the independent consultants can come in and assess that player as well as that it'll be mandatory for guys who are deemed higher risk in, in World Rugby's words. You're basically higher risk if you've been concussed within the last three months, you've had two or more concussions in the last 12 months or the players had five or more concussions since starting to play rugby. And again, we've all had those concerns around certain players who we've seen con concussed a number of times and they return to play again. So this is just an extra layer. To me, it feels like a good measure and it's independent. It's not the team who's obviously concerned and the player themselves who just wants to be back on the pitch and just wants to be helping their team to win. It is independent. Um, obviously, there'll be friction points, I would imagine, like teams, doctors will be thinking, who'd have for you to, to come in and tell, tell us and, and decide for us. Um, but World Rugby has to do something around head injury and brain injury, given all that stuff that we discussed before around the likes of Alex Popham and Thompson, which is obviously massively concerning for the game. That's probably the only potential wrinkle, Bernard, isn't it? Uh, I guess, internal versus external diagnoses and that potential conflict. Yeah, it's it's going to be um, there's going to be conflict, but look at um, world rugby need to to be strong on this. I mean, there was huge conflict in France at the start um, when effectively every concussion had to be reported to a a, a neurosurgeon in in Paris, and um, he managed the base. He managed players game time. He managed players return to play, uh, but he was very good at getting. The educating the club doctors and and um, building their confidence and and after a while it didn't become I mean effectively they they were his um, his messenger back to the coaches locally you know they they stood strong together so uh, I I think that it, it may start off being a little bit of conflict but quite quickly if if World Rugby supported and you know they they build up credibility by making really sound um, and logical decisions uh, and are and are transparent and consistent. I, everyone will roll with it. I mean, it's for, it's for the safety of our players. So, um, yeah, I think it's a it's a huge positive and um, and well well worth supporting. Now, people from Cork of a certain vintage will remember Kanye West playing in the Marquee a couple of times in the two thousands. How far away are we from Jay Z rocking up to Musgrave Park or the sports grounds? <laughs> I would say still pretty far, but there is some positive news in the URC linking up with Jay-Z's management slash marketing company, I think he described them, Rock Nation. And look, we've kind of said in the past that this competition, generally speaking, I, I mean, previous iterations of it, was maybe a little bit poorly marketed or wasn't reaching the audience that it has the potential to reach. Uh, Rock Nation seems to be a company that really excel in propelling its clients, both athletes and organizations, teams, uh, into the mainstream consciousness a little bit more so. Um, it feels like a step forward, Murray. We can get into the actual ins and outs of it a little bit, but um, were you surprised at all or, or did it catch you by surprise this announcement? Yeah, I'd heard mutterings that there was something going on. They were going to bring in some expertise, which, as you say, was needed. And, and previously, Pro14 recognized that. It hasn't been a slick brand, in my opinion, and I think the stuff so far with the URC has been a bit slicker, a bit American for some people I know, but I think even the, the branding around it, the logos, everything, it looks a bit more professional. This is a good move to get marketing expertise in to, to help grow the, the profile of the league and hopefully with new audiences. Like they don't, uh, lads like us are going to watch it, but they, they want a younger audience and, and Rock Nation will probably help them with that. The only thing I'd say is the most important part of any branding or marketing is the rugby on the pitch and, and that's all that matters really that's what's going to engage people um, and get people really interested in, in the URC the South African teams coming in will hope will add to that and you'd 
you'd expect to see a bit of a bounce from from the Welsh and, and Scottish teams after a, a few tough years as well. That's what really matters at the end of the day. But I do think it's a, a good move to bring in a bit of outside expertise to recognise the flaws in your competition and try and do something about it. So I'm, I'm excited to see what, what they come up with and, and hopefully it does help grow it. Yeah, Birch, these guys are definitely no mugs when you look at their list of clients, like you're talking about some of literally the biggest sports stars in the world. But equally pertinently, some of the most marketable sports stars in the world that they have identified and approached to work with. And I think it augurs well that they are willing to work with the URC, as in they probably, like there has to be gain there for uh, Rock Nation as well. So they see potential in it and potential for its growth. Like a little bit of background, this is, I think this has come through CBC, but they have been making inroads in South Africa for quite a while. Uh, Sia Khaleesi was, Sia Khaleesi was the first uh, rugby player that they signed. They've got Cheson Colby and a few more now on the books, as well as Maru Toje. And then the co-CEO of Rock Nation and the head of Rock Nation Sports, Michael Yormark, was part of a consortium that bought a controlling share in the Sharks in around January time, as far as I'm aware. Now, people at home might think, well, the Sharks are part of this competition. Does that mean that they <laughs> might be slanted a little bit more so towards the Sharks? Or is there a conflict of interest? I actually think that's a good thing because it means they're already pre-invested, if you like, in a franchise that's in this competition and a rising tide lifts all boats. So uh, I know you as well, Bernard, to be a man of significant social media savvy. We've just seen your analysis piece on uh, the Lions in South Africa go nuclear on Twitter over the last hour or so. That feels like something that the Pro 14 might have been lacking a little bit. Just that, I guess, looking at other sporting competitions and how they're able to brand themselves now and reach some of the younger people to whom Murray alludes, it's it's social media is the key, really. And there probably aren't many better in the business, to my limited knowledge at least, than Rock Nation of, of actually putting this product not just on uh, TVs, which is kind of outside of the remit, but actually putting it on phone screens as well and getting those younger people engaged in it to the point that they watch it on TV or go attend it in person. Yeah, I think it's it's massive. I thought Jay-Z was Jamie Heastup's dog, to be honest. I'm, I'm way behind the times. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I, I know I, I have heard of Rock Nation and I know that they're, um, yeah, they're very much pushing, pushing the Sharks um, in South Africa. And um, look, I think that... Uh, uh, whatever we need to do to grow the game uh, and I think it is a massive step forward for this competition to be able to partner up with with someone of that credibility and um you know obviously the next the next step is a is a title um a title sponsor um and you know even I'm sure having rock nation um involved w- will help with those negotiations it's a new competition um it's probably coming off a low level in terms of credibility or uh, respect um, it's competing with you know established competitions like the Gallagher Premiership the top 14 you know Super Rugby even though that's changed a little bit so yeah I, I think I think it's really positive and it's an ambitious step but it's a um, it's a hell of a reference point from for them as they go and, and obviously they have new TV deals um, yeah it just seems to be coming at the right time and, and uh, uh, like uh, I want this competition to to be a, a brilliant competition. I think, you know, historically it's been a, a great place for young players to find their feet, um, and I think the new format will drive competition um, and will make it better. And if it's been branded in a better way, if it's been uh, promoted in a better way, if there's more people, you know, following these franchises, these teams, the regions in Wales, for example, um, if they can 
get behind um, if the Welsh rugby fans can get behind the regions, not just the Welsh national team. You know, it'll be it'll be hugely positive. Yeah, hopefully, and it's an opportunity as well, an exciting one for players as individuals. You'd suspect because if Rock Nation are looking to add to their uh, roster, so to speak, of players, uh, what better place to look than some of the provinces or the regions or the other clubs involved in the competition? Yeah, just on that brief gap, they are putting together a, a player advisory group as well, which is which is positive to see. Um, this deal will involve that, so players get a bit of a say in how it's all marketed and and branded and, and all that, and and hopefully we see plenty more personality and, and players getting to show their their character off the pitch as well. Yep, exciting times, exciting one as well. Last night, let's chat Lions, and I've been actually racking my brains trying to think of where to start with this game. We'll talk about how great South Africa were uh, in a moment, but Bernard. You've already looked through the game with a with a tooth comb. I've seen uh, from the Lions' point of view, a simple enough question to begin with. I hope where did they actually lose that game? Where did it get away from them? Where would you start? Oh, they they couldn't get over the gain line consistently. I think they, um, you know, they got caught, smashed back in contact. Then the ball was slow. Um, they tried to go after them uh, in the high ball game, uh, kind of like England did in the, in the World Cup final. And Wales did in, a, in that semi-final, but, but South Africa are, are very uh, comfortable in that environment. And, and while you will get the odd one back, um, they tend to to win those battles uh, hands down. And look at you know, obviously the first try was a bit of a was a was a breakaway. Um, but I uh, yeah, I really felt we allowed uh, on a members podcast. I, I I showed kind of how I feel that the South African philosophy is about. You know, pinning the getting A zone entries, um, but not carrying to there. You know, forcing the opposition, forcing the ball to get into that into that twenty two. And um, uh, last night they didn't really veer from that at all. Um, and I, I suppose what I hoped was, you know, I I would have felt Gatland looking back at his battles with South Africa. And he beat them four times, I think, um, uh, before they lost in the semi final. Um, I I think he would have felt a bit more power, which you get from having you know a combination team. We'll be able to handle them, um, and it'll be a lot easier. I, I think last night they'd be scratching their head in terms of did they just have the wrong team out to be able to deal with that power, um, or you know are they going to have to, or was it just the lads were a little bit off? They were too comfortable having had three easy games, and um, were shocked by the intensity. Um, or are they going to have to think around tactically how how they're going to play? So Gregor Townsend was stuck in Johannesburg, so they didn't have an attack coach. You know, on site, Felix Jones was stuck in Johannesburg, um, uh, obviously in, in quarantine or lockdown. So, like, neither team's preparations were, were ideal. Um, but for me, the reality is you can't run away from that physicality. You're not going to be able to not carry the ball at the, at the box. Um, so you need to find ways of, uh, you know, negating uh, their, uh, yeah, their power. Uh, so you need to be a lot more subtle, and I, and I don't. I know the lines will get. I heard lines fans talking about. Oh, you know, we found wits. We we broke them. Like the re, the only time I thought South Africa were under serious pressure was when they were down to thirteen. You know, for that, uh, for that what seemed like a long period. Um, and then the lines looked really comfortable. But I think when they go back to fifteen, uh, you're gonna have to come out. You have to be so accurate to to get around it. Um, but look at they they tested it last night. They tasted it that that intensity that. Um, that closer from outside who's kamikaze and maybe just needed a, a sighter um, and maybe just need to get the right ball players at the right depth to be able to to get around it What about that Murray Lions finding wit I probably had a similar impression as or got a similar impression to Bernard 
I thought maybe like the, the areas where the Lions looked most threatening, even if, if it was 15 on 15, was just in complete broken field play where it might be somebody collects a kick, just beats a man. I'm thinking of one Connor Murray little sidestep and something might open up for Anthony Watson. But in actual structured play, they weren't making inroads. In the second half, probably resembled actually the Ireland 20s game that we might touch upon towards the end in that it seemed like the more physically powerful team was just able to strangle the game, not just the opposition, but actually completely prevent them from making kind of an indent into uh, their own defence. So from the Lions' point of view, from Gatlin's point of view, how do you change that up? Like, is it more a change of approach or is it a change in personnel that Bernard mentioned a moment ago? Yeah, there probably is elements of both. And I agree with you. You think of, say, even the, the quickly taken line out from Daly to Farrell to Faletau and they, they break up the left in, in the first half and they win a penalty off the back of that. The Lions probably had more of those moments where the, the box didn't quite have their structure. Um, and that was off the back of a, of a good kick, actually. They found grass in behind on the right and Vili Leroux has to scramble a, a kick away. So definitely big elements of that. Like the Lions kicking game was hit and miss in the first half, I thought. Some real inaccuracies there on on top of some good kicks and, and some decent pressure as well. That's got to be absolutely nailed on because as Birch mentioned, the box kicking game is so pressurising. They're brilliant at finding grass or smashing you as you catch it. Their kick chase is unbelievable. Even Etzebeth, just watch them off the ball every single time. Every single player, it's, it's actually wrong to pick out one. They all work so hard to, to pressurise you. And invariably, after an exchange of kicks, they usually end up in a, in a better position. Like the physicality is the big concern for me. The opening 40 minutes in particular, it was just on a different scale to anything we've seen in Test Rugby in the Six Nations. I was, I honestly was surprised that the box could get up back up there so quickly. I thought they'd need another game to to maybe find their level of it. But it's just completely different to anything else in the world. All of their team, even missing a few big guys are just physical savages. So I think personnel-wise, yes, that is going to be part of it. Like, I look at the midfield and I I love a 10-12 combo, but I just think, geez, you have to stack two of your most physical centres in there and, and try and win gain line and deny them gain line because they're so good at it. When the likes of Dialende, who hasn't played for weeks and just turns up like an absolute freak in terms of the physicality and his effort, his counter-rocking, everything, as well as the, the touches of skill that they, they all bring, you've got to find a way to match that. Um, they've got Mbanambi to come back. Pollard's going to be at 10. Like He's also a physical specimen who controls the game well. He can challenge the line. He can tackle. He'll add to that as well. Um, and then definitely just for the players who did play last night, there's probably more in them on, on that side of the game in terms of the bloody-mindedness, the brutality that, that the box bring. This was the warning. Chanted David Wallace before this tour and he said, I'd played South Africa many times, but in 2009, when we hit the Test Series, they just went to another level of, of outright physicality and you've got to match that. The lines were caught cold in 2009, that first Test. They've got their, I suppose, warning on that front last night but I definitely think Gatlin will be thinking how can I get the most power possible into my team because that's what the box bring what they do is is simple it's exactly what we would have all predicted last night how they played but like stopping it is is altogether another story you've got to be unbelievably accurate around the set piece and Gatlin was encouraged by that like he's really pressing the fact that he thought they had scrum dominance, they had some big moments there. Obviously, the five-meter scrum one for Win Jones, who did really well. Some massive mall defense at key times as well from the likes of Itoja Henderson, Adam Beard off the bench. They'll be heartening for the lines, um, but they've got to go up another few notches on that. Yeah, I have a question on Beard that I'll get to in a moment. 
Bernard Murray mentions the midfield kind of struggling a little bit. And probably in reality, if you expand it out a little bit, 9, 10, 12, 13 as a sort of a pretty wide axis didn't get much going. And uh, I want to ask you about Conor Murray's performance. Generally speaking, he's coming in for a lot of flack. That tends to be the case anyway after Conor Murray performances. But it was striking watching the game sometimes with Farrell he seemed to be dropping about 10 yards deep purely to get a kick off. And I know you've looked at how South Africa have actually managed to pressurize uh, the kicker in that type of an environment. But all of it seemed to stem from the breakdown ultimately in that the age old tale of if your halfbacks are playing behind a pack that's being driven backwards, uh, you know, they're on a hiding to nothing essentially. Yeah. And the Springbok set the tone early with a, with a great counter rook, um, uh, after about I think ten or fifteen minutes, which which would unnerve you know Connor, uh, the the nine, and then obviously every time he set up to uh, box kick, you know they're pulling guys in. It's not look at it; it's not new. We we lauded Atoje for doing it uh, week in week out or doing it for England, but they did they did get to him a little bit. His box kicking wasn't too bad. It's just we weren't really able to to do anything back, and we didn't stay patient. And and, and that's that was the big thing for me, you know, around uh, uh, the the the. the the second try from everyone's talking about oh don't kick the ball to Kobe um, Ches and Kobe like obviously that's that's obvious um, but I think Connor should have took control of that himself I don't think I didn't see Elliot Daly screaming for it I didn't, I didn't see a clear overlap um, and quite quickly he shifted it to Farrell who shifted it to, to Elliot Daly he was brought back into the ball was brought back into his 22 he couldn't kick it off um, and obviously there was big pressure from uh, from Peter Steff uh, so and he kicked, I thought he got a decent kick actually uh, because he kicked it down to 15 you know so the worst case scenario there is he kicks it long down the middle and they have two sides to attack so he probably did as well as he could but that's the kind of thing that Connor needs to and it's, look it's in one moment uh, so it sounds very harsh whatever but that's that's where he's there for. He is there to make sure we're unbelievably controlled. And he did it the first time, you know, for the from the from the little chip over the top from Mornay Stain. You know, he played an extra phase, he got our kick chase organized. And then obviously when they kicked it back to us and there was a bit of a fumble and Navidi and Faltau end up on the ground, I thought that's when he needed to play another phase again. And and that's the that's the battle. And when you look back at Wales in uh, South Africa in the semi-final. Wales tried to stay patient. They tried to stay patient, but they lost so many of those little battles um, that effectively the uh, the tide turned and, and South Africa got a narrow win. And there's another example is when from that scrum, Mornay Stain, you know, kicks it a uh, long right, and you know, great chase from Kobe and uh, Reece Samet, uh kicks it out on the full. You know, that's a massive win. It doesn't seem like anything, but it means that they go 50 metres up the field and get a, a, a line-out attack. And that's the challenge for Gats, is to find the power, um, to find the flair, but also find 23 players with a really low error count, you know, in the face of incredible physicality and, and pressure. Uh, it's, it's not an easy challenge. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know what the bookies are saying today, but I know the Lions were slight favourites before last night. Um, you know, for me, uh, the box laid down an unbelievable marker. When you think that, I think Bongi, Malherb, uh, Lude, and uh, maybe Sia and one of the Dupree brothers still come into that pack, you know, uh, or certainly come into the match 23, um, which isn't going to depower them in any way. And in the backs, I think Pollard will start and Mbimpi may uh, probably come on the wing. Like, they're going to get stronger. When you look at the Lions group, 
okay, yeah, there's obviously talent to come in there, but um, given the fact that what they have to come in, plus the fact that you would expect those players logically to get better for that game, and obviously someone will get game time this weekend, um, it's it's pretty daunting. It was interesting to see them birds take on the the top penalties. Like when the box are down 13, you think, obviously just go for the scrum. At yeah. the time, I'm thinking this must be a tactical thing. And Gatlin said afterwards, yeah, that was actually what we planned to do so that we could get a bit of practice with the, the trench warfare. I don't know if that was the case or it's a, it's an easy ex- explanation away from it. What was your, your sense of those moments? Because like the box review, look what we did to these guys on our try line for yeah. five minutes when they're desperately trying to score. We absolutely bossed that. It, it was a <laughs> massive psychological blow. Yeah, absolutely. And I can see the logic because the Lions will want to prove to themselves you give us field position five yards out, we will be relentless. We won't let you off the hook. You know, we will just keep the ball. We'll do an exeter on it. And if you look at the technique that the Lions brought, I mean, like it wasn't, um, you know, it, it, it was pretty decent. It, like they were they were taking their time. They were getting their latch in. Things that would normally result in a in a try. Um, and so I think that the problem with when you go for that, and you fall short. I mean, what a, it's a tiny moment, um, but like not getting that score going in a half time, you can imagine the box just going right. Like we 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 have these fellas. Uh, and look at yeah, obviously in hindsight, you you, you take the scrum. Um, I think the lines. I know Gats is trying to say that you know we were dominant there. Um, I thought it was a lot of fifty fifty calls to be honest. Uh, I don't know if we're dominant at scrum time, um, uh, or we will be. Throughout the series, uh, so I, I I sensed that maybe they felt it was too risky to go for the scrum there. Even though, look at they should score off it. Um, but obviously with them being two men down, but you also would think you pick and go, you pick and go, you pick and go, and you score without any risk. You know, with the problem with playing, um, the problem with playing out the back or, or or going to the backs there, just that rush. You know, so I think that's in Farrell's head, that's in um, in everyone's head, not to call. You know the ball from from Murray because I haven't seen the behind screen or whatever, but they have to be unbelievably narrow. You know to be able to defend those pick and goals, um, only have you know have two players less. There had to be in space, but I think that's the beauty of that kamikaze rush is that sometimes it makes the backs over rely on the forwards in those situations, um, because you don't want to get caught ten yards behind the gain line um, and smashed. So you leave it to them, but then if the forwards don't have the power. Uh, to manage the way over, well then you know it, it, it's a it's a huge swing. So it's going to be interesting. I, as I said, I didn't see anything technically really wrong. I just thought it was sheer sheer physicality. Um, and yeah, I, I think look at uh, Gatlin and Gregor Townsend. I'm sure they'll be saying, look at let's not give them that chance to recover. Let's take the scrum there and let's find a way of attacking that space. That's obviously uh, somewhere if if it's either through the scrum if they if they go with seven against eight or you know, if they um, if there's space in the backs, well, then we got to be good enough to go take it first phase. Hmm. It was just such a good passage of, of rugby. I'm getting gleeful here thinking about going back and watching it. To be honest, again, yeah. Well, and the, 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 come the, so the thing is, the thing is, Murray. Norm, I actually don't enjoy that normally because it's a foregone conclusion <laughs> that the attack will win. You know what I mean? The attack will. Yeah. We play in a, play off a penalty advantage, um, and eventually they get over. But it was. Probably one of the most impressive defensive sets on 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 your own goal line. Look at there's probably better examples in terms of having to make good decisions. Like literally, all you had to do was put on your body armor there and throw yourself at it. But they did it over and over again. 
it had to have been pre-planned though, Murray, didn't it, to go for the tap and go uh, when they were down to 13 because they did it on the other side of the break as well. And you'd imagine if it was a yeah, poor decision yeah. in the first half, you'd be getting an absolute bollocking for it in the second half. You wouldn't do it again. Yeah, it uh, does make sense. Yeah, and I, but I have seen it used as a stick uh, with which to beat Conor Murray's leadership and things like that. And I don't mean to sound like I'm picking on him, but there are kind of calls now in the UK, probably from uh, certain quarters of Ireland as well, for a change at scrum half based on the pace of play or the speed with which the Lions were able to attack or unable to attack maybe more accurately. Is that something that you see uh, as a possibility or are people being too harsh once again on Conor Murray? Yeah, I don't think that's the most important aspect of it I think it's what Burns mentioned about not making mistakes and, and again Gatlin said afterwards we should have box kicked in that example it, you know their strategy would say they should box kick there it was an, an override call and, and they went with it it didn't work out well um, but Conor Murray, Conor Murray does have a, an ability not to make huge mistakes Ali Price has done well in this tour but like who's he done well against so far you know the opposition hasn't been strong um, I think he's kicked well he's passed well he's defended well actually and he was obviously good in the in the Six Nations, but Conor Murray probably has more credit in the bank with Gatland, and obviously he respects him as a a character and personality to have made him the tour captain. What might actually work out in Conor Murray's favour is if Alan Wynne Jones completes this remarkable comeback. And obviously, yeah, it's tough to hand over the the tour captaincy again, but maybe that bit of pressure off his shoulders can allow him just focus in on his game and his decision making and his role rather than concerning himself with what he's going to say for, for beforehand or, or at halftime to, to the rest of the team. Um, yeah, when Jones is, or Alan Wynne Jones is on the bench for tomorrow, or for Saturday rather, um, it, he's straight back in there, which is a surprise. They said he was going to have to isolate for a few days. Apparently that's not the case anymore. And Gatlin says he's 100% fit, so he's going to put his hand up for test selection with 20 or 30 minutes off the bench. It's an absolute remarkable story and will probably have some sort of effect on Conor Murray as well. Bernard, how the hell has this happened with Alan and jones Like Conor Murray described it as unbelievable a couple of times in his post-match interview immediately after the game on Sky. And I actually think it literally is unbelievable. I, I, I cannot believe it. <laughs> yeah, it's look at it. I don't think he obviously didn't have a full dis- dislocation. Um, no. And I do remember at the time Gatland saying uh, they were going to take some they're going to treat it a lot more aggressively than you would with a player who's a bit younger um you know so obviously this Lions tour is absolutely massive in Alan Wynne Jones's career so and you know let's be honest he's 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 played more than he's going to play so potentially they they went at it a different way as I said uh, but the, the the most outstanding thing is um is that he's back and I, I just saw some footage of of him training in Wales and he was giving it a good test so um you know, it's it's a massive boost. I think the psychological stuff that's going on now, and you know, Razzie being the one to leak that Alan, the first one to say Alan Wynne Jones is coming back, and now you know Gatlin being asked about Razzie being a water boy, and and Gatlin saying, look, he should carry water, and you know, it's just there's going to be a load of things, and uh, Razzie looks so happy last night. I mean, it's just uh, it's fascinating uh, to have your director of rugby on the pitch, you know, giving instructions. Uh, we know that it was a huge part of them winning the World Cup having Nino Bar being able to do it but uh, yeah I, I think the next week is is, is going to be uh, amazing and Alan Wynne-Jones is just another another chapter in, in, in the story 
I thought uh, I thought Razzie subbed himself on there at one stage when Dweeba comes off just before half time. He kind of gives him a high five and, and jogs onto the pitch. He would absolutely love the, the glee he gets. And and there's definitely value. I mean, Gatlin's point is fair. He's obviously not a water boy in any way, shape or form. Obviously, Nineveh is a physio as well. So that that was his in. It's a it's a quirk, but I enjoyed seeing Razzie's mischievous smirk on the on the sideline. He's always got something up his sleeve. He's always having a little bit of a cut saying the Lions are scared to play them with their physicality again this weekend. And it, it adds a massive amount off the pitch. Well, Gatlin, Gatlin should call a spade a spade. Like, it's all well and good complaining about Razzie doing that. It's there for him if he wants it as well. The option is there. <laughs> it's just he, he doesn't have the legs. He doesn't have the legs to do it. Let's nah. call a spade a spade. He wouldn't um, have the stamina. Do you think it's something that will catch on, Bernard, in all, in all seriousness? Like, do you see other coaches replicating this? Razzie's done a lot right in the last five or six years, so... Well, look at that. I think um, from a from a personal enjoyment point of view, like, he actually is is able to influence the game and, um, you know, he's right down there at, at pitch level. A hell of a lot better than being at a desk looking at uh, Excel sheets, you know, so I can understand why he would do it. In France, it's like, it's the way, you know, if you're not down on the sideline, animated, um, you know, debating decisions with referees, you're not a good head coach. So, um, it's, it, look, I don't see it going that way. I think it's a very unique situation in terms of uh, with this current management of Nina Barr, and Razzi, and it's going back a long time in fairness with them, obviously with, with Razzi, or with Nina Barr being a physio that Razzi made a coach, effectively he's always had his eyes and his ears um, on the field, he's always been able to make absolutely sure they could get a message in with someone who understands it, who's got the same language, same mindset as, as him, and now he's just flipped it, you know what I mean, but I don't think if Gatland or a Joe Schmidt or an Eddie Jones, if that isn't how they've operated, um, you know, I I don't think they're gonna they're gonna go down that route. So I think it's a it's an anomaly, but um, I think it's yeah, it's intriguing. It's just funny seeing him there. It's and uh, yeah, he's just so engrossed in it. It's brilliant. <laughs> it really is. We have a question here about Alan Wynne Jones' partner in crime at lock uh, from Mick in the rugby members WhatsApp group. Has Adam Baird put himself in the conversation for being in the 23 for the first test? I'll throw it to yourself, Murray. And Mick adds, he had a cameo yesterday, but stole a line out and really disrupted two or three line out malls on the Saffirs. In fairness to you, Murray, I remember when Beard was called up, you were one of the first people that I saw in Ireland, at least, to outline how impressive he had been in the Six Nations, whereas the rest of us were probably more so aghast at James Ryan's snub. So uh, what did you make of his performance last night and can he work his way into uh, Test 23? Yeah, really impressive again. As as the, the comment says, it loads of disruption on, on, on both sides of the ball, actually. He was he was good and he has great skill set. He's a big unit, obviously, um, brilliant on mall defence in, in particular and kind of continued what he has been doing or had been doing in the, in the Six Nations. Gatlin mentioned afterwards that the bench is going to be a huge part of this. Uh, not sure whether he was alluding to Alan Wynne Jones or Beard in that sense, but he did have a real impact, and that is exactly what you want. I definitely don't think it's crazy to think of, of Beard going all the way into a, a 23. However, there is strong competition there. Like Ian Henderson has had a good tour, and he had a brilliant Six Nations as well. So if you're looking at a scenario where Alan Jin- Wynne Jones makes this incredible recovery, starts beside Itoje, I think Henderson will, will have to be included probably in the 23 it gives him a nice headache gives him nice options um and beard has done everything he can he gets another go on, on saturday and and who knows maybe that'll be a decisive say but for me i think henderson probably just ahead of him in the, in the pecking order 
Looking ahead to the weekend then, Murray, before we wrap on the Lions, we'll stick with yourself. Uh, what stands out to you about that team to play the Stormers? I think we kind of know how the game is going to go or we suspect it will go a certain way. So who have you got your eye on mostly in that lineup? Well, Robbie Henshaw's back from his hamstring injury. That's been real frustration for him. And interestingly, he's at 12, maybe pointing into the fact that they are going to kind of beef up that, that centre partnership. Himself and Daly in midfield will be an interesting combination. Stuart Hogg as well gets a go finally. He's been in isolation after being a close contact of that positive COVID case in the management group. So he has a, a last chance really to to put his hand up in, in a very competitive back three. And then at nine, I mean, we spoke about Conor Murray, Ali Price has an opportunity to, to again, have that final say. It's a nice position to be in here a week out from the first test. So if you have a massive game um, and and really impress Gatlin, you've still got plenty of time to recover ahead of a test. So he said there's about 60 or 70% of his test team still to be decided in his head. Now, I'd be surprised if it was really that high, but there are definitely a few where, just like the rest of us, we're kind of going, like, who is he going to pick there? Even a loose head now. Uh, it's such a, a battle. Vunapola's best appearance off the bench. Sutherland has been really good. And Wynn Jones, as we said, really good in scrum and, and also around the pitch, he can jack a well. So there's loads up in the air and, and that's why it's fascinating for Saturday. Like literally everyone involved is still potentially in the mix. And finally, on the lines for the moment, Bernard, you kind of touched upon it earlier in the show or you hinted if you were to put your money on a team to win this test series, based on what you've seen last night and based on the statement that the Springboks A team made, uh, who's your money going on? Yeah, I, I, I was massively impressed by the box last night. Um, and I just think, you know, they've just continued what they built at the World Cup. They're, they're going to stick to the same fundamentals and it's going to be harder for, for Gatlin to try and get, you know, a, a playing philosophy to, to beat them than maybe I thought. I'd hoped that they were going to be a little bit match shy. Obviously, the Southern Hemisphere based players, but last night was so impressive. Um, just quickly to go back to Razzie needing to be on the field. Razzie's always been a coach who's given very strong direction. So you hear a lot about player ownership, coaching. You know, leave decision makers to to make your mind up, make the mind up, and we'll review it afterwards. They get um, uh, a manual and they get told what to do in every situation, and that's how South African players in general. Um, certainly, the ones I've coached in, in in France and Wales, that's how they're brought up. It's it's very much play by no, or game by numbers. And even I don't know if some fans will know this, but uh, when Razzie was coaching the Cheetahs back in the Curry Cup, um, he took a spot high up in the stand, and he developed a traffic light system. So when there was a scrum. Uh, the nine or ten would look up, and the, the colours that he flashed would give them the call he wanted. Uh, uh, so he's like, that's why it's so important to this coaching group for either him or Nina Bar to be on the field because they literally do call the plays um, when they can, which is isn't common elsewhere. But just thought, yeah. So people need to understand where Razzie's coming from and how he sees, um, you know, his his influence as a coach. I can't wait for this test series. My own hype levels have peaked, I think. Uh, before we leave the two of you go, lads, a couple more things to chat about. Uh, we did say we'd touch upon the under-20s. Well, stick with yourself, Bernard. You are in this RT studio for that game. And I thought you did an excellent job, actually, of just summing up the fact that no matter what happens for uh, these players as individuals for the rest of their careers, they'll always have this summer of 2021 when they formed a kind of a bond that... We don't see many teams form, particularly teams that are pretty, like that are kind of, 
like they're not playing together day in day out week on week for the year like it is an international setup it is a kind of an amalgamation of the best players in the country at that age group and yet they seem to have this chemistry and a will to play for each other that was evident towards even the dying embers of that France game that should have been long gone similar against England so whatever about finishing third in the tournament which was fine and a couple of uh, of really impressive performances it was an, it seemed like a nice tournament for those players as just individual guys and a, a memory to have forever yeah, I, I think so. I, I think they did us incredibly proud. Uh, I, I don't think it was the most talented group we've had. Um, some injuries affected that, but they were unbelievably difficult to play against, and they just hung in there and fought. You know, in the teams that that outpowered them, um, and in the teams that uh, you know they were they were probably uh, had more ability in or um, are more talented, more experienced. You know, they, they dealt with them quite convincingly and played some good stuff. But uh, I, yeah, I, I just think. You know, for Richie Murphy, Leamy, Tucker, um, and the other coaches, they'll be absolutely delighted with with how the tournament went, and and I, it looks like they create a really good environment for them. I talk Kendellan, obviously, um, his performances were outstanding, but I just think he he showed a level of maturity as a as a leader that you rarely see it at that level, and uh, I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, you know post post this age group and uh, there's a couple of lads back next year um but yeah i, I think overall they, they can be very proud of their efforts yeah you'd imagine kendellen would have been pretty key to that team environment murray but as bernard touches upon there it's equally richie murphy dennis leamy and and all the support staff who actually facilitate an environment like that for it to be cultivated and that augurs well for future iterations of the ireland 20s as well that there does seem to be this um I guess this uh, encouragement of of a sense of team. Not that it wasn't there before, but it was just so evident this time around. Yeah, absolutely. Some really good coaching and it's been an important development avenue in that regard as well as the players. We know that a lot of them are going to go on to bigger things, but you've seen Nigel Carlin, you've seen Noel McNamara who's going off to South Africa with the Sharks now. They've taken steps in their career by leading really impressive Ireland under-20 teams. And Richie Murphy's been... I suppose in the shadows with the senior men's team as, as the kicking and skills coach for many years and now he gets a chance to be a head coach and, and with some real success as well there was a nice cohesion to, to Ireland as you say a really good um, squad kind of spirit as well so really pleasing in that regard agree with Bernard there was the likes of Kendall who really showed they can move on to the next level he just seems so mature he, he plays like someone who's older than his years um, and a couple others there who will definitely see in senior rugby in the, in the next year or two obviously disappointments against against England and France not wildly unexpected to be fair and they managed that game against Italy that could have got away from them really well in the second half there was a lovely bit of calmness and composure and poise to to their performance there so all in all a really enjoyable campaign again like every year the under 20s rugby is some of the best to watch and I know I can't wait for the for the next group to come through yeah for sure well done to them all it was a, a pleasure to watch them over the last few weeks looking ahead the All Blacks, uh, it's too soon, Bernard. It's too soon for me. I know it's been a couple of years, but I actually am not ready to watch Ireland play the All Blacks again. Uh, are you excited, a little bit more excited than I am? Yeah, look, it's lovely to... Uh, I think we're going into it on the back of, um, obviously, two good wins. I think, you know, the, a lot of the youngsters showed up really well against against Japan. I think that's that's a re- or against America. That's a real... Po- USA, that's a real positive. And yeah, I, I'm excited by it because I, I'd lo- I'm looking forward to you know this new competition uh, domestically um and to seeing where the team are I, I i'd like to hope we made progress um 
with, with, with the national team. Obviously, Johnny being out um, gave Carberry, you know, some game time. And I thought, you know, he had some bright moments. I think Coombs will, I think Coombs will be the eighth uh, by the time we play um, the All Blacks. And, and I'm excited to see his development. Doris is outstanding. Um, yeah, it's going to be good to test ourselves against... You know, against a team who play completely differently than than we're going to face in the in the Six Nations. So yeah, I, I actually I, I'm looking forward to that. Um, like the Lions is going to be my priority now for the next couple couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, I think it's a nice one to have on, on the on the radar. I don't ever ask you for hype levels, Murray. What about that Ireland All Blacks game? Where are you on the scale? Yeah, buzzing. There's a trip to Las Vegas a couple of weeks before that as well. So hopefully mm. <laughs> things are normal and we can get a, a good trip for the pod over there maybe we can do a live show I'll start campaigning for that if if you're up for it lads it's a nice well, um, that's good yeah I t- uh, honestly members.the42.e members.the42.e that's what will get us over there your continued support and even more support from yeah. those of you who aren't members yet go fund uh, me go fund me page <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool was, <laughs> uh, collection box uh, come here Japan are coming back to town as well we need to mention that yeah. and that was an absolute thrilling game a couple of weeks ago you'd imagine even actually with Japan having got a bit of uh, rugby into their boots so to speak over the summer like they'll come back into that autumn series for themselves in better stead and that should be a tasty one as well yeah, they're here to stay Japan at the, at the top table and they're one of the most attractive sides to watch. There's going to be a really excitement around that fixture. Definitely the All Blacks one is always special. And I don't think, like, I'll probably be proven wrong, but I don't think it is the strongest All Black squad ever at the moment. Even looking at their, their teams to play Fiji, I haven't been blown away looking at it on paper. Um, and Fiji really put it up to them last week. They'll get better, they'll improve as the year goes on. Of course they will, but you never know. Ireland being the All Blacks at home would be a nice, uh, a nice achievement again. And Argentina as well will be an interesting test something slightly different again to to mix up the the regular humdrum calendar that we've had particularly in the last year where you've ended up playing people a lot of times so it is something really to look forward to and fingers crossed we just have a a full house or or near to it at that stage it makes some bloody difference doesn't it even the Lions games like last night would have been even better with a with a full house full of crazy fans so fingers crossed come the autumn tests will will be at that stage 100% to round it off I know you both watched, or I presume you both watched, Australia and France during the week. And listen, there's a lot to be said for midweek rugby. I think we've discovered that yeah. uh, probably over a few Lions stories, to be fair. I noticed in the aftermath of that match and France's victory, a lot of people praising them as being almost like a second string French team that had turned over the Wallabies, set up this third test decider. But Murray, I kind of thought that was more of a third string in ways. There were guys there that were probably fourth choice in certain positions it didn't feel like uh, I actually thought second string was downplaying their performance and the achievement of winning it's scary their their depth at the moment isn't it even someone like Jaminet who's played in the Pro D2 with Perpignan all season he nailed eight from eight didn't he off the tee really composed moment moments off off the off the kicking tee so they've got players coming out of the woodwork from left right and centre young guys who are athletic who've got good skill sets and after the absolute disaster the previous weekend showed a, a bit of metal to get over the line this time. It has been a wonderfully entertaining series. The Wallabies obviously will have massive regrets about this second one. And realistically, France could be 2-0 ahead, which says so much about this squad minus all those frontliners. Um, but I can't wait for the, the decider on Saturday. It's been brilliant so far. And I'm all in for Tuesday and Wednesday, kind of mid-morning ropey. I'm, I'm just all over that. Yeah, it's been absolutely a joy over the last couple of weeks watching those two sides 
Bernard, which way would you be leaning uh, for that third test? I know there are a lot of variables probably with lineups and things like that, but on a hunch. Yeah, look, I'd, I'd probably expect the Wallabies to, to find a way uh, to win, but I think this, this France are getting so many positives out of this, uh, regardless if they win win the series, to uh, to barely lose one, you know, the, the first test, to win the second, to develop some some more depth. I mean, I thought Walkie, um, you know, we, we, I've seen glimpses of him uh, for Bordeaux, for France, but I thought that was his most complete performance. And Galtier must be just, you know, so happy in terms of the feel-good factor that's there now, the relationship with the clubs. I mean, in that under-20s team, uh, I know speaking of Mike Prendergast, the captain, the nine, the Gallic, he's 100% sure he'll play for France uh, at senior level. Um, there's just depth there that we're, we, like, like I'm not saying we're in a bad place, but um, they have, have really turned a corner. When you think back five, six years ago, it was so reliant on foreign players. Um, the national team were in disarray. Uh, it's all it's all looking very positive for them. Obviously, with a home World Cup to look forward to twenty twenty three. Yeah, it's uh, really exciting for France. Probably a bit frightening for the rest of us. But then, as frightening as it might be, it's always just enjoyable when they're on song, isn't it? So it could be an exciting few years for sure. Murray, give us an idea uh, of your schedule for the members over the next couple of days before we wrap. So we've got another newsletter coming tomorrow, a bit of analysis, and we have a post-match pod on Saturday, video analysis review on Monday, and another newsletter on, on Tuesday. So there's loads going on. It's a, a great time to sign up, obviously. Um, and just so exciting. Like, everyone's fully in on this Lions Tour now, aren't they? It's what we needed, that kind of kickstart, um, and all the, the permutations of test teams, etc. So looking forward to giving people a bit of extra coverage with the with the membership. Yeah, members.the42.e. You get access to all of that, plus all of our other podcasts and offerings. Uh, you can read about them at that very link, members.the42.e. I'm sure you can decide then. Bernard, thank you as always. Great to see you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. And thank you, Murray. Cheers. Thanks to everybody at home as well. Enjoy the rugby over the weekend, particularly Lions, Stormers. Enjoy Murray's analysis as well. And we will be back on one of those days that Murray mentioned, or indeed for non-members, in this regular slot next Thursday. So until then, mind yourselves, take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is coming out! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, and